Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you for joining us um, today. We will be talking to you about your take on what transformation uh, means for you and uh, your sort of experiences around leadership. Again, my name is Kwasi. Uh, we've got Dave. Hand over to you, Rich, to just say hello and a few words. Sure thing. Um, so first off, thank you, gents, for the invite. Um, genuinely pleased to, to both see you again and be talking to you again. Quick introduction for myself. So my name is Richard James. Um, I work with Nationwide Building Society. And my role now, recently, has to move into a new space for the organization targeting ways of working enablement. So my role title, grandiose as it is, is Ways of Working Enablement Leader. And I guess, what do I feel that means? I, I, I feel that the organization is seeking um, to put a real focus on organizational evolution, experimentation, awareness of the importance of a focus on the kind of fast flow of safe value to, to, to our members. And it's incredibly empowering to be told by ultimately the, the, the kind of chairman and the CEO of the organization that, that they're backing this effort to the extent that they want to create a small team dedicated to supporting, enabling, facilitating the organization through this. And so the team I lead then, um, we bring together um, a set of coaches predominantly who, who come with a background and a focus on um, agility coaching, but also DevOps principles and culture. Um, some come with lean startup background or, or, or even lean software, lean IT. Um, and then the space we occupy in the organization is to reach out and work with leaders and teams, cross-functional teams, to help them with kind of core topics of visualization, um, measurement and an appreciation of flow. And then um, as a group working with them to, in their own context, uh, surface those impediments um, and then practice um, in partnership with, with these teams experimentation against um, value hypothesis for, for ways to solve those impediments to flow. Um, and it's, a, it's an approach that's new for us. So crucially, this is not a sort of deterministic project plan for scaling agile over this date with this method or framework. Rather, this is quite a humble, um, respectful of folks, teams, leaders, contexts approach to connect with them and say, okay, look, let's share the problems. Let's understand where you are. Let's start from where you are. Let's think big, start small, learn fast. And let's practice this kind of culture of continuous experimentation and sharing of the learnings, both within teams and then across teams. And so I guess that, that by way of introduction, kind of that gives you a bit about my philosophy, that gives you a bit about the team, and that gives you a bit about where we are in nationwide organizationally. As you um, share that story there, Richard, I'm curious, as a leader within that space, how do you show up in order to support that transformation towards kind of that facilitation and that enablement in the best way possible? I guess the, the really easy answer is um, I do whatever the team and the organization needs from me. I don't have unique or specialist skills. I, I don't have the technical mastery that m almost any of my team do. My role really is simply to enable the environment, 
support and nurture the colleagues, help open doors and, you know, in whatever ways I can unblock impediments through kind of influence and joining dots. Um, and then I guess, you know, one of the roles I would think I play in the leadership space is probably more about the vision and helping with something that is compelling, something that helps to shape a purpose and for the team for which this is quite relentless, it's quite hard work. It's, it's often quite thankless and it's kind of rightly never done. I guess the last role I play then in, in having set the vision and, and working to enable the team is in just keeping up the positivity, respecting the marginal gains, celebrating the successes, including the learnings of things that didn't go as we'd hoped and really building up that culture of kind of sharing everything we are uncovering as a team, both across the team and then more widely in the organization and outside of the organization. That's very powerful, very um, humbling in terms of um, the, the sort of leader or leadership style um, that I guess both Dave and I have come to sort of admire about you uh, and how you show up. What was showing up for me uh, in, terms of, in terms of a question almost was, I don't know whether you, that there was a time or you recall a time where you noticed this more about yourself in terms of stepping into that space of enabling everyone, almost everyone around you to be, to be their best. Was there, was there a time where it was a switch or you've always sort of been in that sort of stance? I think the answer is it's just what makes me happy. I'd love to say it's kind of altruistic and it's something that, that, um, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've come to some sort of Damascene conversion towards, no, like really selfishly making other people the best they can be is something that makes me happy. Mm. So <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing magical or clever or, or earth shattering. It's just, if I can get home of an evening and reflect on how I've helped other people be the best they can be, and preferably that, that in the process, both of us have learned really selfishly that, that makes me happy. It allows me to be there for my family with, you know, my, my sort of, my cup of positivity filled up. So no, it's just something that floats my boat and, and allows mm. me to recharge my own batteries. Mm. What do you find as, as a leader in your space are the, to, to use a word that we can resonate with here, the key enablers that allow you to be that person every day? Um, th- things, I guess I, I, I work better with the sort of as t- teams and colleagues and friends I, I work with, you know, really curiosity and bravery. So, so what, what things do I need? Really only things I need are with people I'm working with, be that colleagues in my own team or, or wider in the organization or even in conferences that you can attend. It's first for trying new things, thirst for experimentation, curiosity and, and, and the bravery to try things even if you're not sure it's going to work. Um, and I think if you have those as, as traits, there almost isn't anything you can't really achieve because if you, if you combine curiosity and bravery, then you can go huge places. You can travel huge distances and you can, I, I think they're, they're infectious as well, both things. Your curiosity in particular is infectious. So yeah, they're, they're, again, nothing more than that, curiosity and bravery. 
Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can resonate with that. So on a, on a personal journey up onto where I am now, I guess I'm still growing, still curious, still want to um, learn so many different things and and be my best possible self, better than today. Um, but that element of curiosity um, and and bravery uh, is is what led me to the path of wanting to know more about self through coaching. Um, so I, I I recall I recall very vividly when I made the decision to sort of invest my, in myself and invest on so many different coaching courses just to get to know myself. And it's, it's very scary at first because you have to go deep. You have to really see things about oneself that maybe you don't want to see. So yeah, I, I can really resonate. And then the, uh, what, what shows up uh, uh, outside of that is a, it's a kind of different behavior. It's this friend sort of person. Um, so yeah, I can really resonate with that. What shows up for me is where you say the word bravery, like the word like brave or bravery kind of like stood out or resonated with me. Uh, I guess the question I'd ask for you is even for yourself, how do you know you're in a space where that bravery can emerge? <laughs> um, because I don't have a filter. I don't, I don't know any other way. And it's definitely been something that's, yeah, helped my career in various points, <laughs> but but also like that. That's probably where some of my hindrances or or my biggest learnings have been, just because one person is super psyched about the opportunity to continue to learn and experiment with new things and is is right out there wanting to be the pioneer or the early adopter. Don't don't go inflicting that on everyone. You know, I am so enthusiastic. I'm so positive that there's so much potential out there. There's there's never an ability to pause and say, yeah, that's enough for now. That's great. Well done me, but it's incredibly tiresome for many others. And if you turn up in the room and you're the person who's going, well, yeah, but what about, why don't we try this? Or like, I think it's, um, you know, it, it becomes a little bit about emotional self-awareness um, and respecting the fact that, that, you know, if you are more pioneer than settler or town planner, you, you, you still, you're never going to be successful unless you partner with settlers and town planners and don't go expecting everybody to, to come at the same challenge the same way, don't inflict your psyche and style on others um, or expect that, you know, amping up your approach will win over the scarcest, uh, toughest skeptic. Enthusiasm and energy alone don't win over those who need data and measurement and more safety before they can progress. Mm. And how do you support, um, as a leader, how do you support the people that you're there to serve in, showing up in that brave way i think it's one of the things i'm still working on you know i i I am i am conscious that for those who themselves are your early adopters or your pioneers i'm incredibly fortunate that the role and the space and the seat at the table i have now within nationwide allows me to help them because it gives them you know something that they can affiliate with that, that becomes a you know movement but yet, you know what, like in any given population size, it's, it's particularly in large enterprises, it's rightly a balance where pioneering is a smaller percentage for all the correct reasons. And so the thing I'm working on at the moment is how do I actually gain the measurement and ensure that the approach I take is data rational and provides um, both qualitative and crucially quantitative measures of behavioral change leading and lagging indicators because that's really the only way you can you can win over 
those folk who are highly data rational or those folk who are much more the town planners. And I guess if you sit on the furthest edge of pioneering, you don't really do things because of data. You do things because of just an innate urge to try something new and modern. Whereas for a whole raft of particularly large scale enterprise populations, um, you need data, you need evidence and you need to, that, that kind of S curve picture of um, diffusion of innovation curve. And you say, okay, you can get to the early adopters every time with enthusiasm and energy, but to get to through early adopter to early majority, particularly into late majority, you've got to work through that S curve. You've got to be able to bring people with you who aren't just going to be the people who, who start shouting. Yes, we can at the very first idea of a new, uh, you know, a new initiative. So it's got to be backed by measurement and it's also got to be invited rather than inflicted. So it's got to be incremental. It's got to be something that people vote into. Therefore it can't be too evangelical or too, too far. You've got to make it accessible. And so that that first step doesn't feel so brave. Thank you for that. So I think what was coming up for me uh, when you spoke about invited versus inflicted um, and linking into that, also you mentioned the different types of people in your team. So you spoke about settlers, town planners, early adopters, uh, visionaries. Or, yeah, you spoke about all of these. So as a leader, if there's a leader listening in, um, I guess, how, how have you developed that um, emotional awareness or even that psychological awareness or presence to, to know when your people are maybe want or want to spell when you know I'm not going to inflict, I'm just going to invite or even, yeah, how, how, how have you developed that lens of identifying your team that are craving for the different types of how you engage with them? So I guess it's um, repeat failures is how you start to see that, that you know, the, the way you've been tackling something uh, so hey you know maybe i had enthusiasm set to seven and went after something and i failed so i came back and went okay i'll dial enthusiasm eight to eight and a half and actually i got almost the same if not more reaction and i went okay right i'm gonna double down on this and i went with enthusiasm 11 out of 10 and people said never come back <laughs> you don't darken my door or you're fired or you're a lunatic and you, and you just think well <laughs> I guess if you go at things with the same approach n times over and coming out the back of that, it's not just that you haven't succeeded, it's worse. It's that you've, you've pushed people further away and you didn't intend it. And I still, it's not like I've, I'm aware of it, but I'm still not very good at adapting my own approach. What I guess I can do as I, as I become increasingly aware of, you know, that kind of power, your greatest power is, is also your, your, your weakness. Um, I guess I'm aware of therefore what, what other folk I need to bring with me and who else I need to lean on in, in a team. How do I construct a team to be more in aggregate than just an echo chamber for that, that one enthusiastic um, pioneering person? You go, okay, so I haven't solved it, but you can see pretty quickly whether you're turning people on or turning people off. And you can see pretty quickly whether folk are smiling and nodding, but their eyes aren't with you or, or, or whether people are, even the spark is there to, to try that simplest, smallest first experiment. So yeah, I'd love to say, you know, I'd, I'd developed this awareness and I'd found some ability to change my personality to, to, to solve it. But now I guess, you know, you fail at things enough times and, and it becomes clear that you need a different approach and you try a few different approaches enough times that you think, oh yeah, okay, I, I get to see this now. 
and that um the pioneer settlers town planners thing it's um simon wardley and i i I love that one because it's it's consumable you think about it and and within any given population particularly in large organizations there are pioneers settlers and town planners and it's it's really lazy to say well the pioneers are your digital folk and the town planners are your governance folk that's not true there are pioneers in all of the areas of the organization in a small percentage and equally, there are town planners in all parts of the organization, even that which is meant to be the most cutting edge. And so it's not even as simple as just going, well, you know, I'm going to go practice these things that I want to do in this one part of the organization. No, you've got to be able to find a way that says, yeah, you can appeal to the pioneers in, in a range of different areas. But if you want to make a difference, you've got to be able to have something that, yes, appeals to pioneers, but also is, is safe enough for those non-pioneers to think about taking that first brave step. And you've got to make it accessible you've got to make it something that 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 doesn't punish trying the first thing i mean what shows up for me as you explain the you know the settlers town planners pioneers piece as well is the it's it's an attempt to obviously simplify something that is complex but also going one step beyond that is it also around as a leader understanding the not only is a person not ever one thing all the time but also the social constructs and the environment you create shapes how people think and behave. So as an organization, if you do A, the likelihood is you're driving behaviors and mindsets B. So as an organization, if all you're going to drive is this propensity and need to document, plan things, put these things down on paper, then what type of mindset does that breed? Whereas if all you care about is innovation and nothing else, then kind of what mindset does that breed? So it's almost, do you find it's that, that question, not only about where are people on that spectrum of town planners, pioneers, and so on, but also as an organization, what are we doing that socially influences how people are showing up? I think that, that that's a brilliant question because I think that's where you get to this kind of, um, it's a coherence question again. Um, yes, people, people adapt to fit the behaviors of the system of work, and if that's outside of their own personal anchor, then it hurts. You, you can see it hurts them individually. And you get to this place where, where how you show up at work isn't actually you. And you play a role and you perform a particular set of you know, processes and what have you, but it's not you. And over time, that leaves you in this kind of agentic state of acting a certain way because that's what one perceives to be the way in which the organization needs you to act to, to meet the social norms. And to unwind that, to, to allow people to bring their entire whole self into workplace. And, and for those who want to do the documentation, that's brilliant. We need that. But, but not to inflict a kind of social norm or a group think on individuals and collaborators and folk who have their own unique perspective. Don't, don't, don't bring people in and then expect them all to you know, follow this one set pattern for expectations of what good looks like. Because it's not, it's not true in human life. Why is it true in office life? Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's certainly from my perspective, working at Nationwide, but elsewhere as well, having that space where people can just be themselves. And, you know, fundamentally, all the problems that we're trying to solve are not that complex if we just wear together and show up how we need to show up for success. And we're just there to explore them without those things distracting us, saying, oh, no, I have to be this person. I have to think in this way in order to operate in this team. If we were to remove all that noise of roles and the other constraints that exist, I've never found a space or a team who can't identify their own problems, who can't solve their own problems, 
but sometimes I think there are things that can get in the way of that. And I think the, for me, it's really interesting that topic around how the social constructs within organizations help shape behavior and change behavior. And it's not the effect we want. And it's, I know that's not the intent that is there, but I think sometimes we don't look close enough at the human behavior piece and how our intentions are shaping the behavior of people. That I agree with. I think is um, you, you create something where um, the norms of the, um, of the organization force particular behaviors on people. And you, you sort of, again, it's over time, the kind of adherence to the social norms and the losing of free will are things that aren't intended, but, but become again, particularly in large established organizations, you, you unwittingly create an environment that sucks the life out of colleagues ability to feel that they have the accountable freedom to experiment that they can look to improve that they that they are their human selves rather than somebody who's been sort of plugged into the matrix to to you know to download their their, their daily dose of of output this sort of you know, increasingly in, in in the world we're moving to actually what what you celebrate is the the freedoms what you celebrate is that that diversity of the thought and um culture of okay, how can we improve? How can we put something in front of a customer that, that might make a difference? And how quickly can we get that feedback and adapt? And, and it's, you know, the, world, the world has changed hugely over this last four or five years in particular to say, you know, everything is now less certain than it was before. And if we're in uncertain times, actually, you know, the, the sense that in uncertain times, experimentation and sensing, you know, Kniffin style pictures of, of in complex environments, sense and adapt, if you've been in a simple or a complicated environment for one, two decades, unwinding that, freeing people back up to bring their human selves to work is incredibly uplifting when solved, incredibly disheartening when observed passionately from, from, from afar and a hard journey to do, you know, a hard journey to do. And you, you, you sort of, that is then down to individuals' bravery and to create, again, back to this facilitating enabling environment in which people can experiment can bring themselves can innovate and can do it with the safety of knowing that you know failure is a learning opportunity it's it's not something to be castigated and yet you know still in in the organization there are controls particularly in regulated financial services but not solely in regulated financial services you think about pharma you think about any industry you know that there are the appropriate controls and guardrails for the fast flow of safe value safety you know safe not just for colleagues but safe for customers so there's that balance between then this is not suddenly anarchy this is not stripping away the rules this is simply like a kettle that's been scaled up this is descaling to get back to the very essence of where is safety versus where is experimentation innovation and and that that kind of culture of experimentation that we want to see Yeah, yeah, very much resonates. Um, this this might be a, a, a might be a very big question, but on the subject of bringing the human side back to work or back to the organisations, um, as a leader, for you personally, I guess maybe things that you've tried, or um, what would you say are some of the things that leaders should consider or focus on trying to bring that humanistic side back to the organisations, back to their teams. I mean, I, I guess that there's nothing, again, there's nothing clever or complicated to this. The, the curiosity thing, right? 
Mm. So as leaders, um, a whole set of principles around adaptive leadership again at the moment. Yeah, for, for anybody that wants to read up about this stuff, adaptive leadership is very definitely the space we are increasingly in and or moving into an even greater speed and scale. And it's just a different style. So for, for the leaders of today and tomorrow, and I don't mean leaders as in senior people, I mean folk who are leading. And that could be at all levels. You know, leading is not, is not something you reserve for senior people. That, that's simply guiding and being there to try new things bravely. So again, like super simply, it's curiosity and bravery. And whether one starts with reading, whether you want to go to a conference, whether you just want to sit with colleagues and, and find the pioneers and, and share a coffee or a beer virtually or physically, just to sort of have a sense of curiosity and then have the bravery to try that one thing and set it up as an, everything, set everything up as an experiment, have that idea of the um, value hypothesis. Um, I don't know whether people have heard it, but that um, due to a, and then dictate a problem. We believe that dictate a potential solution would result in dictate a happy path. We will know we are successful when leading indicator, make a leading indicator, something that, that you can measurably see behavioral shift in within a reasonably short turnaround and the leading indicator success followed by lagging indicators of success. And if you, if you, if you wrap things up into that experiment and say, you know, I'm, I'm not changing my mindset. I'm not um, suddenly jumping from one religion to another religion. I'm simply saying that I'm prepared to wrap with curiosity and bravery, a simple experiment up and then conduct the experiment correctly in scientific bounds, making sure you've, you've, you've set the definition ready for the experiment and you understand, you know, what's the bounded conclusion to the experiment and then observe your findings. So even there, if, if, if you're not somebody who is, I'm all in on something brand new just because I want to be all in. Okay. Don't be, but still be curious and be brave enough to conduct the simplest experiment with your team. Curiosity, bravery and experimentation. Yeah. Mm. I'm curious, Richard, as you are a curious person, <laughs> and I can see you very. I can see you, I, and I know. I know your passion is about learning and mm-hmm. getting involved in new things. I'm just curious, as as a leader, what's the? If there was one thing you could learn or start to embody more of this year, what would it be, and why? The the one thing. The one thing I fear. And it's not a fear that holds me back, but it's one I'm conscious of. Is that practically, I think Quasi and I spoke, in fact, I think both Quasi and I and Dave and I have spoken about this. Practically, I don't have any of these skills. I have never participated in the stand-up. I have never facilitated the session I've, I, I, I don't know how to move post-its on a board I, I, I have a sense as to the things that I would hope that would unlock teams and individuals but I feel like a charlatan because I've never done it and I'm always so busy trying to help other folk with unblocking the things that, I've, that, that, that they're seeking help with that I've never in these sort of three four years that we've been doing this work I've I still don't know what on earth I'm doing at a kind of personal professional level. So, you know, like if, if there were, if there were a stop the clock kind of moment and you had the opportunity to just go, 
you know, sort of back to the floor or, or you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to actually have practiced what I find myself preaching. Because in the end, what I'm preaching is probably more the conditions that would engender success rather than understanding of success itself. And that's fine. But you know what? Kind of having some practiced experience would certainly leave me feeling like less of an imposter sometimes. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Again, you've, you've, you've really embodied bravery there um, and, uh, and just showed really special stuff. Very. Yeah. I, just, I just wonder off the back of that, if you, were to, if you were to imagine gaining that experience for yourself this year, how would you imagine that would change you as a leader? Hmm. It's, it's funny, isn't it? So I think everyone has imposter syndrome at a level and you know, practically all you're seeking to do when faced with your own internal imposter syndrome voice is just to make it quiet down a bit and to help your own um, self-belief. So do I think that actually doing those things would allow me to be a more effective leader? No, no. <laughs> It's really selfish. It's just to allow me to question myself less. It doesn't necessarily impact the the service or support or coaching I can give to others. It's simply to quieten down my own little demon on my shoulder type thing. So no, it's not for that. And you know, you it's like if you can get your rational brain thinking about it, you wonder whether actually if you had some training or some base level content actually you'd be you'd be more dangerous like, yeah yeah i've done this it's like no 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 you, you've, you've literally done nothing you've gone on the training course and turned up and gone, no, don't worry hold my beer i've got this like okay do you know what like um re- really clear knowledge that you don't know anything is actually quite liberating because then all you can ever do is go find the team build the team that, that have the skills that you definitely lack uh uh so yeah maybe a little knowledge is a dangerous thing mm. Oh, fantastic share uh, yeah. I love the honest way in you in which way you share these topics and explore them and um, conscious of time but I'm sure if we had more time it'd be great to follow that thread a little bit more and have that conversation yeah sure but by all means I'll come back as well like I, I love yeah. talking to you guys I, I'm, I'm super happy to come back and, and, and talk more talk more about different topics I'm really interested to hear how you guys are getting on I, like this is such a fascinating area this is such an incredible kind of moment and period and increasingly an in- incredible period to be to be engaged in these topics um mm. so yeah i'd super happily come back and i'd love to hear more about where you guys are and how things are going yeah. oh yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah we'll, we'll definitely have have you back um have a much longer conversation as well three of us have uh, a lot that we we kind of resonate on um so it'll be a great conversation again i'm, I'm pretty sure pretty sure I guess there's only one final question I've got because I know the obviously people need to jump off. So hopefully this isn't a big question. Um, if you were to describe like from a transformation perspective, from your experience, what are the three biggest challenges that you've personally faced as a leader? And how have you faced into those challenges? Just one final small question. Three biggest <laughs> challenges and three answers. What the? What the? Um, That's my classic. This is a small question thing. <laughs> so the, the, the one, the one, the one biggest and still biggest one that I still can't solve is it, we talked about it in this call. 
what to do when people don't just buy enthusiasm at, at strength 11 out of 10. Um, on a personal level, you know, I, I now sit in, in what amounts to quite a senior leadership team. Yeah, sort of board minus one level leadership team. And, and the things we're wrestling with here are new. Uh, and for a board minus one level leadership team, they're totally new and they are scary. And the board minus one leadership team have their way of working. And for them, that has been efficient and effective for the longest time. So having the Lord of Jazz Hands turn up and talk to them about, you know, X, Y, and Z and experimentation, all the rest of it, that that's, I don't know how to get into some of the conversations and I can talk about it with you guys and I can talk for, yeah, yeah, it's bravery and curiosity and, and it's a small experiment, but I haven't yet solved that with, with my peer group. So the single biggest challenge is if you want to be a servant leader and help unlock things for your team and, and you be there to be at the end of an and on call, if someone wants to pull it or push the button or whatever, I haven't yet found the way to actually help in all instances. And that's something I'm working on right now. How does one get to a place where you can engender an appropriate amount of curiosity? How do you introduce totally new topics to very, very senior leaders who, who aren't just not receptive, but aren't safe enough to even engage in the conversation? So yeah, number one, it's, it's just, if, if one has an approach of invite over inflict, then yeah, actually there's no invite for any parties, how do you engage? Second one, I think, comes down to this idea of just the breadth of the, the landscape. So many things, you know, whether one starts from an agile transformation or a DevOps transformation or, or, or simply a, a kind of um, lean and simplification um, or, or entrepreneurial redesign. You know, so many threads that are also, in the end, connected. Then you pull on like a DevOps thread and then you're into a funding thread and then you're into a prioritization thread and then you're into a product ownership and value understanding thread. And you're sort of making sure you can keep a conversation appropriately bounded given the sort of interconnectedness and recognizing that for any given person's start point, whether they're starting from a technology and a DevOps or whether they're starting from a culture and a method or whether they're starting from a, a financier's perspective on capitalization approaches for future cloud native software stack. And you know, it's like, in the end, these topics are all linked and you can't really start with one without at least inherently knowing the other topics that will pop up and you don't want to drown people in yeah, what about this? What about this? What about this? Particularly if you're enthusiastic. So that kind of knowledge of how to tread a path that is safe for others to follow uh, and followable. If somebody's own path, it's there, it has to be their path. You can't give them a prescriptive, this is the one way. Uh, and then I guess the last one is, um, yeah, how to deal with imposter syndrome. How, how to be comfortable that, that here are the things you know, here are the things you don't know. And that for all the things you don't know, there are colleagues out there today and tomorrow who will want to help and who will complete you in ways you didn't even know was possible. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, wonderful. Um, thanks for sharing those three things. I think the, we may have the three things we can talk about next time. <laughs> um, yeah, again, Richard, thanks for sharing your thoughts. I mean, for my personal points of view obviously I've, I've worked with you for a long time as well as um, just how you've shown up today the two key words you brought out at the beginning of this podcast were curious and humble um, and I felt the importance of those words to you as you spoke them and I have to say during the podcast today I feel you've shown up in a humble way 
and in a curious way as well. Um, so again, thanks for, it's just interesting how things you say actually is how you show up. So thanks for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. No, Thank you. That, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Good to see you again. Thank you both very, very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm super happy to share, share time as much as, as, as you guys need. Um, fascinating topics and love talking about them. Awesome. We'll have you on soon. Yeah. Thank you very much, gents. Mm-hmm.